name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Fellow redeemed, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the crucified and risen Christ comes to his disciples. He gives them these wonderful gifts. He says to them, peace be with you. With these words, Jesus gives to his disciples a peace that surpasses all human understanding, a peace of sins forgiven, that they've been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. In their midst, Jesus also says to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now with these words, Jesus gives to his disciples the authority to forgive and to retain sins. And then, finally, at the end of our gospel for this day, Jesus says to the disciples, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, the reason Jesus comes to his disciples in that room is to dispel their fear. The disciples were gathered in a locked room for fear of the Jews. They know the, what the Jews did to Jesus. They crucified him on a cross. And so thinking that they'll be next, the disciples were locked in a room for fear of the Jews. And it's in this fear that Jesus comes to them. And the first thing he says is, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, the very hands that were nailed to the cross. He showed them his side, the very side that was pierced with a spear assured that he was dead. And in all of this, it dispels the disciples' fear. Or at least it should have. Yet eight days later, the disciples were inside again, behind locked doors. And this time, Thomas, who was strangely missing a week earlier, was with them. Now remember Thomas. In love for Jesus, Thomas declared to the other disciples, when Jesus was going to Judea, let us go, that we may die with him. And yet, when things got real, that is, real arrest, real beatings, real spike-piercing flesh, real death, it turns out that Thomas really wanted to live, even without Jesus. He scatters like the others. And then days later, after the disciples' words that Jesus lived, Thomas declares, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now it's here where we normally talk about the unbelief of Thomas. And how the resurrected Christ comes to him in order to give him certainty. 
And yet, we often overlook the, the fact the disciples are hiding in fear once again, even after Jesus appeared to them. And yet Jesus comes again to them and tells them the same thing they said last week, the last Sunday. Peace be with you. It's not just Thomas who's doubting. It's all the disciples. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there behind a locked door. It would just be Thomas. Yet Jesus, in his mercy, shows up again and speaks words of peace again. He then turns to Thomas and says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answers him, My Lord and my God. Into this great confession, because it is a great confession, Jesus gives to Thomas this rebuke and to us this promise. Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so, almost 2,000 years after these events, we're gathered together, eight days after having celebrated the resurrection of our Lord, and we're gathered here, not entirely in fear, yet if we're honest with ourselves, we do have fears. Even if they're mixed with joy and gladness and peace at the news that our Savior lives. In the midst of these things, Jesus doesn't come visibly to us as he once did for the disciples. Now to be certain, Jesus is among us this day. Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there he is among us. So he is among us. We see him through the eyes of faith. And yet he doesn't come visibly to the naked eye through the wall or through a door and stand in our midst to say, peace be with you, like he did for the disciples. For us, Jesus is ascended to the Father. For us, we're not waiting for him to come strolling down the aisle and sit in one of the pews to show himself. No, we're waiting for Jesus to return on that great and glorious day to usher in the new heavens and the new earth and to give us the eternal life that he has promised to us. And so he's not here visibly as he was for the disciple. He's not here in the same way that the disciples saw him. And yet, in the midst of this, we're more blessed because of this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, Jesus says. This means we're more blessed than those who walked with him during his earthly life. We're more blessed than those who witnessed his crucifixion. We're more blessed than the disciples who were gathered in that upper room and saw the resurrected Christ. We're more blessed than the hundreds of people 
that Jesus appeared to following his resurrection and prior to his ascension. So we're more blessed. And yet the real question is whether or not we believe Jesus' words. The real question is whether or not we believe that we're more blessed. And that Jesus does, in fact, know what he's talking about. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do we believe Jesus' words? Or have we somehow attached our feelings of blessedness or thinking of blessedness to things that we can see with our physical eyes? The devil, the world, and the sinful flesh tempt us to believe that we're blessed only if the Lord has given us all sorts of stuff. Yet what about those Christians who are poor, who don't have the earthly possessions that we do? Are they not blessed by the Lord? We might think we're personally personally blessed if we have good health. But what about those members who are hospitalized or shut in at their homes? Are they not blessed? As a congregation, we may think that we're blessed if we're surrounded by all of these kids. And yet what about those congregations that are older? Are they not blessed by the Lord? As a church, we may think we're blessed if the pews are overflowing with people eager to hear the Lord's word. But what happens if it's just you and the pastor who show up to church? Are you then not blessed? Now make no mistake, these things are certainly blessings from the Lord. Possessions, good health, are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. People coming to hear the gospel is a blessing from the Lord. And yet these things are not ultimately what defines us as having been blessed by the Lord. I want you to consider this hypothetical situation. Let's say you show up to church and you and the pastor are the only ones here. You go through the divine service. Confess your sins. You receive absolution for them. You hear the word of God rightly preached and the sacraments rightly administered. However, after saying goodbye to the pastor, you go outside and you find out That your car's not there. It's been stolen. And then to make matters worse, both your wallet and your cell phone were in there. So you have no money. You have no cell phone. So you catch a ride with the pastor. However, once you're home, you find out that your fridge is dead. All the food is spoiled. And so you go downstairs to get a frozen pizza from the freezer to eat. And when you go down, you notice that a pipe has burst. There's water all over the floor. And so now you have to walk over to your neighbor's house to use their phone to start the long task of getting things repaired, getting your car back. But as you're walking, you trip over a rock, break your ankle. Then you end up in a hospital. 
And there, in the midst of repairing your ankle, the doctors find out that you have a tumor. You have cancer. And so you're there in a hospital, lying in a bed, with all of these things having happened to you over the course of hours. In this hypothetical situation, you consider yourself blessed. Now, if we're being honest, we're not so sure. Look at all the awful things that have happened to me. No wallet, no phone, no car, broken ankle, house in ruins, in the hospital, broken ankle. I have cancer. Look at all this. Yet, why are you still not blessed? What has been taken away from you that is so important? What has been taken away from you that's so irreplaceable, so eternally valuable that you should consider yourself no longer blessed? This is why Jesus gives us this corrective. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Why is it That individuals such as Job, in the midst of losing everything, can still declare the Lord gave, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Why is it that St. Paul can say, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why is it that the saints regularly regularly look to the Lord in the midst of their fallen physical state and still say that they're blessed? Why is it that you can say the same thing? It's because you have the same thing that they do, regardless of what your physical circumstances might be. Like the countless Christians that have come before you, you have the precious gifts of God which surpasses the wealth of all of creation. You have the words and promises of the one who declares you are blessed regardless of what you see with your physical eyes. And you are blessed because of the birth and life and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus for you. And so as you're laying in that hospital bed, in this hypothetical situation, we can ask these follow-up questions. Did Jesus shed his holy precious blood in order to redeem you from all of your sins? Did Jesus rise from the dead, proving he has won the victory over sin and death and the devil for you? Did Jesus mark you as his very own? a blessed heir of the kingdom of heaven and the waters of holy baptism? Do you still have as your precious possession the precious word of God that creates and sustains faith 
to your confession of sin, do you have God's promise of absolution that the blood of Christ covers all of your sin? Do you have the promise that God will never leave you or forsake you in your time of need and that he'll deliver you from all evil for Christ's sake? You still have the promise of the inheritance laid up for you, which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept by the Lord himself for you until that great and awesome day. And is the Lord coming back for you on the last day? The answer to these questions is yes, and they are then you are blessed. In fact, you're more blessed than the apostles huddled in fear in a locked room because you have something that can never be taken away from you. You have Jesus who was born for you and who lived for you, the perfect life for you. You have Jesus who bore your sin and suffered its death for you. You have Jesus who was raised and lives this very day for you. And you have Jesus who is coming back for you. And no sin, no devil, no circumstance in life will be able to take that away from you. I'm certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Fellow redeemed, you are blessed. Not because you've seen, but because you've heard. Peace be with you. You are blessed. Not because you've seen, but because you've heard. Your sins are forgiven. You are blessed. Not because you've seen, but because you've heard that you are blessed. Jesus doesn't lie to you. For it's backed by his innocent suffering and death on the cross. And it's backed by his glorious resurrection from the dead. How blessed are they who have not seen. And yet whose faith has constant been. For they eternal life shall win. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.